Yeah. So we're back. Uh, today we are actually talking to a law professor at um, TCU, and we're going to be talking about um, social media um, censorship, specifically re- in recent recent weeks, the uh, Joe Rogan Spotify um, controversy has come up. All right. So, yeah. So uh, I'm Chip Stewart. I'm a professor at TCU uh, in the journalism uh, department, uh, and I'm an attorney or at least have been an attorney um, and uh, uh, worked as a journalist for several years, worked as a lawyer, came back to newsrooms. um, And I've been teaching journalism in some form or fashion for about 20 years now. Uh, My main focus is on media law, the First Amendment, free speech, copyright, social media, that sort of thing. Excellent. Well, that's a great, uh, a great segue into um, kind of where we went and started. But before I do that, uh, I wanted to uh, introduce you to my colleague, uh, Tim Molina, who, who is actually the um, department coordinator for MassCom at Northwest Vista. Um, but feel free, Tim, to introduce yourself. Sure. Pleasure to have you, Chip. Thanks for being here with us on our little podcast that we have for students and uh, faculty alike that um, are interested in various topics that we explore in, in MassCom. So thanks for being here. Great. Nice to meet you, Tim. Yeah. So the the kind of the first question we had that that uh, you, you set us up nicely for. So what what interested you in teaching? Um, what got you started in in the in the in the profession of, of teaching? Uh, it's interesting. I uh, I kind of backed into it. So it was uh, in two thousand. My wife and I moved to Columbia, Missouri. Uh, she's a pediatrician, so she was going to do her residency there. And it's while I was coming out of, uh, uh, as, while I was working as an attorney in Texas, uh, because I only practiced for a couple of years, I had to take the bar exam up there. And um, while I was waiting on bar exam results, uh, an old friend of mine who I taught at the journalism school and who I knew from newsrooms as well, um, asked if I uh, might want to come on board there at the Columbia Missourian, which is edited by faculty, but is uh, but the students are the reporters, and uh, join up as an editor, uh, maybe work on a master's, see if I liked it. Um, and so I did that, um, thinking, well, maybe I'll do this for a year, see how it goes. And I mean, first week of teaching, just fell in love with it. You know, was really interested uh, in working with the students on, uh, uh, on writing and journalism and reporting. And um, I don't know, took that first master's class and it took me about four years to finish my master's while working as a full-time editor at the paper uh, at the Missourian and uh, decided to uh, stick around for my PhD and uh, and teach some more and actually got in the classroom um, and uh, really loved it. And so I got a chance to uh, teach full-time at a TCU. That was in 2007 uh, to come in and teach the media law classes there. And I've been here ever since. Awesome. Awesome. Excellent. Um, that's great. So 2007 is when you started teaching, I guess. So we, we, we did overlap a little bit. Um, I was at the end of my, uh, cause I graduated in 2009. But okay. I, so I was at the end of my kind of reign. I had already taken the media law classes that I needed to take. Right, was, right, yeah. It was definitely not my focus. Um, so uh, what's funny is that one of my students then uh, Patty Zamaripa um, was a, uh, uh, she was in like my second or my first year. I think she was in my class and now she's one of our professors in our department. So yeah, one of my former students oh, at cool. TCU is now one of my professor colleagues at TCU. That's awesome. That's great. Very old. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, it makes you feel old, but I, I think as a, as an alumni, that makes me feel good in regards to, you know, TCU giving their own education, the stamp of approval in regards yeah. to hiring, hiring their graduates. I think that's, that's great. Um, you see that a lot too, you know, in public, public schools that uh-huh. hire their, their graduates and things like that. So that's, that's really great. Um, so awesome. Um, so let's see. So where should we get started? So it's interesting, actually, that you have such a background in journalism. So um, to kind of bring you up to speed on on something that's going on here locally. Um, so there. So Northwest Vista is a part of the Alamo Colleges, which is a, okay. a, a greater body um kind of like a public school district. Uh, all of the colleges manage aut- autonomously, but they're all a part of uh, the same district. So um, the uh, kind of the namesake, so to speak, of the, the colleges, uh, San Antonio College, SAC, uh, had a journalism department, um, still has a journalism department, um, but there have been several faculty that have actually retired and um, a, a lot of... Um, Local journalists came out of the, the journalism department there at the community college. And so there's there was this huge outcry on um, they because they had, had announced that they weren't going to publish the 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 physical newspaper anymore, which right. apparently had been published for 90 some odd years. Uh, and so. Um, so, yeah, so it's interesting that you talk about that. Um, and so it would be interesting to get your perspective on on kind of um you know, why journalism is still such a, a, an important and relevant, and especially student newspapers are such an important and relevant um, facet in, in educating students, journalism students specifically. Yeah, um, it is really important. And one thing that's interesting, uh, of course, there's been a lot of talk about the Texas A&M a situation recently where A&M, uh, basically their chancellor um, announced they were going to uh, kill the print edition of the battalion, their long running uh, print edition. And that's been going around in uh, uh, student newsrooms a lot in the last few years, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but let's first off just talk about the value to a community that a, a print newspaper, uh, whether it's daily or three times a week or weekly, um, it gets uh, it gets picked up and it gets read. Um, it, it still has value that the, they still sell ads. They usually are self-sustaining um, when it comes to their ad sales. Um, and if they're not, it's because they're not trying hard enough that you can make money on a print newspaper uh, because the, the ad space still matters. It's still valuable uh, source of information for the community. So even regardless of the educational aspect of it, it's still valuable to a community to just like a small community is better off with a weekly newspaper than, um, than a blog or a website, you know, just a, an institution that's job is to cover the community and that people turn to. So, uh, so it starts out just by having value at that. Um, but definitely as a teaching tool, um, of course, my background was as a student uh, media reporter and editor. I started out in sports. Uh, I was actually on our board. I went to SMU undergraduate and I was on our board of directors. Uh, we were an independent operation um, at the time. And um, we've seen a lot of newspapers transition from three or four days a week to two days a week to one day a week to online fully. Um You'll lose a little bit when you lose the print edition because the deadline pressure isn't there. Um, the the idea that I need to get this thing written tonight for tomorrow's paper as opposed to, well, I can write in a couple of days for next week's paper. And if I get up on the website 12 hours later, that's fine. Uh, you lose a little bit in terms of uh, the uh, um, practice, getting you ready to, to work on a deadline and to um, and to organize yourself and, and deal with the um, you know, problem solving skills and that sort of stuff. Um, 
but it's still a you know an essential thing that I think uh, um, students and journalism departments provide. And it's not just about journalism. I mean, obviously, I'm biased. I think journalism is core to democracy. I think most uh, uh, ph- philosophers and theorists hold that as well. But um, when you think of the skills that journalists teach or journalism schools teach, um, interviewing, uh, you know, uh, negotiation, <laughs> um, uh, dealing with deadlines, writing under pressure, writing simply, writing clearly, um, critical thinking skills, problem solving skills. These are things that carry with you whatever field you go into. Mm-hmm. And so it's a great degree, a great major, great minor. And a lot of those experiences are built in student newsrooms. So um, it's a great asset for a student community beyond just what it serves uh, for informing the public. Great. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I agree. And, and, and I think to Tim, Tim would agree as well. And it, uh, it was interesting <clears throat> there. I think it was an unforeseen PR uh, hiccup uh, when yep. they announced that the, you know, uh, it got out to the news media that the, um, that they weren't going to be publishing. And so there was this outcry of, Oh, well, you're killing the yeah, journalism, right. de- you're killing the journalism department. And, and uh, it was, it was amazing to see all these uh, local reporters for NPR and, local news stations that were, you know, devastated to hear that that was a possibility. And it caused yeah. actually the, uh, the, the chancellor of the, of the, of the Alamo colleges spoke with the San Antonio express news editorial board and, yeah. and, and, wow. and, and addressed it's the, the damage concern. control, right. Yeah. Yeah. A form of like a uh, press conference and damage control and said, you know, we're going to bring this back to the table and, and see what we can do in terms of, uh, you know, dealing with this, uh, you know, sort of convergence of media and how, you know, we can take it the next step. And, and, and the idea was to bring in the other colleges as well. So that, that's interesting to, that you brought that up. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious when we're going to see it or hear about a meeting for that. So <laughs> I see, I do, it does TCU have something of that nature Do they have a student press. Yeah, yeah, we do. We have a, a student newspaper. It was a uh, it's probably the Daily Skiff uh, uh, when Mark was there. Um, it's uh, now TCU 360 is our media operations. We publish the weekly Skiff. Uh, it's a weekly tabloid, uh, kind of more focused on. It's got some you know student um, uh, you know, like student government goings on and that sort of stuff around campus. But I'd say it's more focused on kind of entertainment and sports and that sort of stuff. Um, I'm, I teach our sports uh, writing classes. And so a lot of our content will go into uh, into that as features and that sort of stuff. Uh, but yeah, we do have a weekly print edition plus, you know, a, you know daily 24 uh, seven student media website as well. And uh, that's worked pretty well. I think we've done that uh, seven or eight years now, we went to the weekly publication. Uh, it's not independent. It is published by the university, but generally the university has been pretty hands-off. They let uh, the student media director and the students uh, run the operations of it. That's good to know. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, so that, that, that segue is kind of uh, in regards to, um, you know, uh, censorship and hands-off uh, leading of the paper uh, that kind of segues nicely into um, kind of the real, the, the, the main reason that we kind of wanted to talk to you and, and, and give information to our students was we really wanted to talk to the uh, talk to uh, censorship specifically in social media. Uh, it's, come up so often in the last five years, especially uh, with, you know, Donald Trump being banned from Twitter and other individuals being kicked off of Twitter, various, various places. But the most recent, the most recent thing that's popped up um, is this, 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 this case with Joe Rogan and Spotify. Right. Um, and it, and it's 
it seems that there there are some clear differences in regards to how the Joe Rogan Spotify case uh, or, or incident, um, you know, looks at, for example, the like Trump being kicked off of Twitter. Um, so uh, so can you spend a minute kind of talking about how that case is different than, you know, say, you know, uh, Twitter? Trump being kicked off of a of, of a different social media platform or a, a a different individual user being kicked off of a social media platform. Yeah, sure. I mean, first things first. Obviously, uh, Joe Rogan hasn't been kicked off anything, right? <laughs> so, Absolutely, right. Still his, he still got his contract, his exclusive deal with Spotify. So, um, I think they removed some old episodes, right? That in which mm-hmm. he does said racist stuff and other unfortunate things, right? Um, and uh, so that's the that you know the extent to which he's been canceled, right? You know, quotation uh, end quotation canceled. Um, is that they deleted some old things for archives that were, you know, rude and um, which is, you know, totally within their power. Right. That, uh, and so some of this is that, you know, Joe Rogan is a, a hugely valuable property and Spotify knew that. So they paid him a huge, I think they realize now it's like a $200 million contract and exclusive deal to, 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 uh, to broadcast his podcast um, and, or to air his podcast, to host his podcast. Um so in a way, he's really an employee of theirs. Um, you know, at least he's on a contract with them. They've got expectations and obligations. Um, if they were to break the deal, they probably owe him some money, right? Um, or he could, you know, he could up and leave. He probably owe them some money, take a buyout, and go take a show somewhere else. Um, that's just the free market, right? Um, that's the that's the marketplace of ideas. That uh, they're a private actor and can terminate a show. Uh, no First Amendment issues are harmed here because they're a private company, right? They're, they're not the government. If the government were to come in and say you have to take Joe Rogan off the air because he's spreading back seen misinformation. Yeah, that'd be a First Amendment issue. Um, in fact, there are bills out there right now that uh, I think uh, Amy Klobuchar out of Minnesota has a, a, a bill that would bar social media networks from uh, from spreading vaccine misinformation. It violates the First Amendment, right? The government can't do that. The government can't come in and tell you, you have to bar stuff we say is false, which sounds great when you agree with uh, who's making that decision, but what when you don't, right? Um, would you like Donald Trump to come in and tell you that you can't spread uh, health misinformation because his health information is a lot different than maybe what a mainstream person would be. Um, so we don't want the government coming in and dictating that. But that's not what's happening here, right? This is a private company, Spotify, determining whether to keep paying a guy to exclusively host his podcast or not. If they say no, you know, he hasn't been censored by any conventional sense. They just said, basically, go take your show somewhere else. And he would, and he'd have an audience. Um, so, yeah. uh, but they didn't because he's a valuable property. You know, people uh, dial in or tune in to listen to that. Still talking old school technology, right? Nobody dials into anything, but they, they tune in to listen to it, right? <laughs> they tune um, in, yeah. So, yeah, so he's, uh, so, you know, it's a private company making a private decision. Um, they made a private decision to remove things from archives, just like, Dr. Seuss's family said, let's not publish the old racist books, right? Uh, or the ones with the, the bad racial imagery or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Disney making it impossible to watch Song of the South, right? <laughs> you know, so, right. Um, yeah, you, you can get those things on, on a VHS somewhere, maybe, or a bootleg copy. But they said that we don't think that uh, hangs with our modern view of what society would like to see. So we're not going to show it anymore. Private business decision. They can do that. Yeah. Great. So um, so something that comes up in, in our, our classes, especially when talking about censorship and 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 social media and i i feel like the last time i taught in person uh was uh the the last uh presidential election year um 
or well, no, the 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 <laughs> the last one before that. Oh, 2016, um, yeah. 2016. And so um that was a really big issue in regards to what was being spread on on Facebook and what could you and could you not say and could Facebook take you down and and where where some of the legality in all of this kind of boils down is really looking at section 230 of the Communications yep. Decency Act. Um, and so I actually and I think Tim has used it before too. We we use a clip. Um, uh, the comedian slash pun. I don't know what to call him exactly, but Hassan Minaj uh, oh, yeah. created a, a show called Patriot Act that that actually I did a really that, yeah. did a really good job of kind of diving into some of these things and boiling it down to you know the common common language and for the commoners and made it entertaining and that was nice. So very John Stewart esque, I guess. Um, so. So, so we play a clip of that. So, um, so can you kind of talk about, you know, and, and boil down for us, um, where section 230 is and what it, what it does and, and where is it possibly going? You know, do politicians want to take it out? Do they want to amend it? Uh, what's, what's happening with section 230? Right. Um, well, a lot and nothing at the same time is maybe a way to put it. Let's. Uh, I think it's worth talking about both what Section 230 does and what it doesn't do. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people think it's the First Amendment and it's not, or that it's, uh, it sometimes has, has some great control that it doesn't have. Basically, all Section 230 does. And so Communications Decency Act passed in 1996 was almost entirely struck down in the Reno versus ACLU case in 1997. It was largely about controlling porn on the internet. Um, Section 230 survived. It's like the only part that survived. And it um, survived because it provided a shield, had nothing to do with pornography and any of that sort of stuff. It provided a shield um, for uh, internet uh, or interactive computer services um, and their users, uh, making them not liable for the content of users or other users. And that's basically it. That's all it says. Uh, Jeffrey Kossif, the um, the professor, um, wrote a book called, uh, they called it the 26 words that created the internet. Um, Because what it did at the time was, you know, we were talking about like CompuServe and AOL chat rooms and Prodigy were, were the ways people got on the internet. And some courts were saying if there was a chat room on Prodigy that some user uploaded something to and it harmed you, you could sue Prodigy. Right, you know, because that's the, the classic republication um, um, approach of libel, which is you used to the publisher. Um, so some courts said, "Well, you're a publisher. You you know it's up there. You leave it up there. We're going to make you responsible." And some courts were saying, "No, you're more a distributor. You're more like a bookstore, and we don't hold bookstores liable for selling books with bad things in them or newsstands. Right? We don't. You can't sue the newsstand for selling a newspaper with libel in it." Um, so some courts were saying distributors. Some courts were saying. Um, they're a publisher. And this created a lot of uncertainty, right? You know, if you're a prodigy and you think you might uh, be sued into non-existence because some rando posted something rude in your internet chat room, you're just going to shut down your chat rooms, right? You know, there's no reason to take on that liability when you mm-hmm. cannot possibly police all the content going on there. Um, so Section 230 was meant to deal with that. Basically, Congress said websites are not going to be responsible. Internet computer services are not going to be responsible for the acts of their users. Um, Just blanket shield of liability. Um, If they edit and take things down, not responsible. They leave them up, not responsible. They act in good faith, not responsible. They don't act in good faith, not responsible, right? It's just a blanket shield uh, for content posted by users. Um, And 
we couldn't have YouTube or Facebook or Google or any of these sorts of things if not for Section 230 in the early days because uh, they all would have been uh, crippled uh, in terms of liability. There's a reason all these companies were founded in the United States. Um, so that's what 230 did and continues to do. It provides a shield for liability um, for uh, all of these companies as giant as they've gotten for the actual users. Um, so you say something rude about me uh, on Facebook, I can sue you, but I can't sue Facebook, right? They're not responsible. Even if it's terrible and Facebook knows about it and they don't take it down, they're still not liable, right? This just happened last week. Um, Donald Trump sued Twitter um, saying uh, for violating their terms and saying they violated his First Amendment rights. It doesn't matter. They can do that. They're a private company, right? Um, and if somebody goes on, on Twitter and says bad things about Donald Trump, he can't sue Twitter for it, right? Go sue that person. Um, so that's Section 230. Um, there are a lot of efforts uh, to reform or repeal it. Uh, I actually counted uh, while I was writing something the other day. There were 18 bills in 2020, none passed. Uh, there are 18 more bills right now, none are, are any threat to pass, <laughs> um, uh, that would repeal or, or heavily reform Section 230. Um, the reason they won't pass is, well, some people want it, uh, like uh, on the conservative side, uh, Republicans want it because they say they're being censored, right? That uh, their leader, Donald Trump, has been removed from Twitter and Facebook and they want him back on there. Section 230 has nothing to do with that, right? That's the First Amendment. First Amendment says Twitter can remove users however they want to. They have First Amendment rights also. You know, um, Facebook can remove whoever they want to. They have First Amendment rights. Um, so Section 230 has nothing to do with it. Um, so they want to uh, force companies to carry uh, conservative users, and the First Amendment would already bar. They'd all be struck down if they passed, and they will pass. Um, Democrats wanted to, to make companies liable for uh, spreading misinformation, right? Whether it's about the 2016 election or the 2020 election or Russia or Ukraine or bots or, you know, foreign bad actors, um, also protected by the First Amendment, right? You know, and uh, and um, if you try to take away 230 liability for misinformation, you still run into a First Amendment problem. So, um, or if you take it, take it away, then the companies are just going to, you know, basically turn into propaganda machines. You know, why would you uh, run anything that gives you the risk of being sued? So they're going to be very, very cautious. You'll see an internet that looks a lot like it does in China, which is only official non-dangerous things are allowed to be permitted on the internet, right? So, um, uh, you're, there's not a majority to accept either of these views. Uh, state uh, states have tried, so there's obviously a conservative majority in Florida. They tried to parry, uh, they tried to pass, or they did pass a basically a must carry bill that would punish companies for removing conservative users from Twitter or Facebook. Um, federal courts struck it down on First Amendment grounds. It clearly violated the First Amendment rights. Uh, Texas passed a similar law. Federal courts struck it down on First Amendment grounds. Um, you can't force people to uh, host speech they don't like. I mean, basic First Amendment stuff has nothing to do with 230. And even if it did, state law can't um, uh, can't supersede federal law. You know, so you have a supremacy clause issue. So it's really hard to reform these in a way that doesn't cross the First Amendment and makes people satisfied with uh, the outcome, uh, whether it's lobbyists or other politicians. So um, both presidential candidates last time in 2020 said they campaigned and uh, said they would repeal 230. Um, but nobody knows, knows what it's going to look like. Uh, if you do repeal it. So it's, it's a, um, and the tech companies certainly don't want it. And uh, there's a lot of, they give a lot of money to campaign. So it's going to be a pretty difficult thing to actually repeal a reform. I don't see any of these efforts succeeding. Yeah. So do you think there will be more uh, content moderation amongst the, 
you know, the, the platform themselves and, and kind of the self-moderation versus, you know, uh, congressmen taking it uh, along those routes of, of still trying, you know, because we've seen a lot of, of rhetoric from, you know, the, the whistleblower of Facebook, right. A few months ago, yeah, yeah. um, would stirred up a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, attention towards it again, but it seems as though we're, we're, we're continuing to move into that self-moderation of, of the platforms, uh, you know, kind of from, from their aspect, because they, they could lose money, right. If they don't do yeah. anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think you're right. I mean, I think that's actually the way it's supposed to work, which is that if um, you think about Spotify, suppose they decide not to moderate or, or police or, um, or manage Joe Rogan's podcast at all. And then advertisers start leaving, right. Or, 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 a spot, or um, subscribers stop leaving the market speaking to them. You know, they were obviously concerned enough about that to pull some things out of the archives and say, we're going to um, police this content a little bit more. That's a market decision, right? You know, what's going to cost us money. Um, and uh, I say that, that when you've got companies that are kind of in the, in the too big to fail, right? You know, so Facebook's so big, it's hard to come up with a competitor. Um, though it's like, it's funny, you can get kicked off of Twitter and go to Facebook and say, guess what? You've got a competitive audience you can go to. You get kicked off of those, you can go to these, you know, conservative right-wing sites. I mean, Trump tried to launch one last week, right? Um, so there's room for competition. You can actually do that sort of stuff. Um, if the uh, if the networks aren't moderating things in the way the users want, they will leave, right? Young audiences don't go to Facebook anymore. They go to, they go to TikTok, they go to Snapchat, right? Um, when those fail, they'll go on to something else. You know, MySpace isn't a thing for a reason um, that uh, these companies actually do come and go. Um, so if they're not responding to the market and to their users or their subscribers, then they'll fail. And so really that's, that's the free market. That's the first amendment at work right there is that you don't like it, walk away. You're, you're not entitled to be on Facebook. It's a private company. Uh, it's not a common utility. It's not the phone company like you know, back in the seventies. Um, there's plenty of options. Launch your own blog. Right. You know, there's lots of things you could do. We are seeing this right now. I mean, the companies do have a lot of power. Um, they are. There's some debate right now, like, should they take down all Russian content? Right. You know, during a, the Russia's invasion of Ukraine, that um, these channels are largely used for propaganda purposes. Um, and uh, and Facebook is already throttling access to Twitter and to face. I'm sorry. Russia is already throttling access to Facebook and to Twitter um, to try to avoid propaganda they don't like circulating on those networks back to their people at home. Um, but, uh, and these sources have been used for a lot of organizing and that sort of thing as well. So some of the resistance to Ukraine could be using them. So they're trying to throttle that as well. This is what dictators do. <laughs> they throttle content to the internet when they invade or, uh, or people protest against them. Uh, you know, happened in Turkey, happened in Egypt, happened in Libya, right? So it's happening in, in Russia uh, right now as well. Um, well, Facebook's kicking off the content. Uh, Twitter is suspending content. I just read that a couple hours ago. Um, there's some debate over whether that's a good idea because, like, maybe we, we want to see what the dictators and tyrants are up to, like what propaganda they're actually spreading to the people because it's going to get out somewhere. And so better we see it than not. But I think those companies are saying right now that we don't want to seem like we're hosting this repulsive information, right? Uh, that's broadcast by dictators to try to, uh, you know, lead in uh, and, you know, unlawful uh, action in invading other countries. So, they can kick Russia off their platform. They absolutely can do that. It's their platform, you know, that they have a right to do that. And, you know, the wisdom of that is, is up for debate. Um, I've got no sympathy for Russia. So, you know, kick them off the platform. What do I care? But maybe we do want to know. I don't know. Like I said, that's, that's a debate for other people. Yeah. So that's, that's a really good point. Um, and, and kind of leads to the, the million dollar question, I feel, especially for us as educators. Um, so, 
you know, if, you know, just repealing 230 doesn't fix the problem and, um, you know, uh, having these, these, you know, the ability to have freedom of speech on these platforms uh, is important and crucial, then, you know, what, how, how do we address best the issue of misinformation spreading? I mean, do we just, do we just hold up programs and, and curriculum that uh, teaches, you know, information literacy, digital literacy, media literacy, things like that, or, or what, what other solutions might, might, might there be? Yeah. Boy, I wish I had the answer. I wish there was an easy answer to that one. Right. I mean, I, I think that you're, you're right about what it's like, what, what is actually in our control? What could we do? And I do think that widespread, you know, um, you know, public education, media literacy, I mean, down to kindergarten, not talking just college here, uh, is essential in the information economy we're in right now. Um, we are not in a moment where uh, public uh, uh, schooling is uh, is properly funded and a curriculum are covering things like this, right? Where, uh, you know, dangerous notions like dissent and history are maybe becoming remote in a lot of places, but uh, which is challenging uh, to, to you know, go out and bolster a you know, wide, uh, wide and deep media literacy curriculum in the, in the early uh, schools. Um, we're really looking at a problem where like, this is outside of the law to solve. Um, if we're going to be a freedom loving society, right. That believes in free speech. Um, we can't fix it by having the government come in and ban stuff, right. We're going to tolerate a lot of speech. We really don't like, including hateful speech, racist speech, misinformation speech. Um, you look at the people who have been defending the First Amendment uh, sometimes in court, and they're the worst people. It's the KKK and the neo-Nazis. It's, um, you know, the Westboro Baptist Church. It's um, Larry Flint, right? You know, it's just, it's pornographers. It's like the worst of the worst people out there fighting the battles that a free press and, and uh, free speakers need. Um, because we cover a lot of stuff, including speech that we think is a, is a really bad idea a lot of the time. So yeah, misinformation is going to flourish sometimes. The, the, the counter to that is better information, right? And more access to it and better education. Um, there are a lot of barriers in the way of that. That's really difficult because that takes people being educated and responsible um, and accountable. Uh, it takes politicians who would actually be motivated to uh, – to um, deal with that, um, which is does not seem like the way politics work in our country right now. Um, but consider the alternative, right? We could have a very top-down regime like in Saudi Arabia or China that says, here is the official word of what's true, right? Um, and if it's misinformation, it doesn't get on here and you're banned from the internet. And you maybe get to go to a camp and not a fun camp, right? Um, so that's, uh, <clears throat> that's the way dictators and tyrants and authoritarian societies uh, deal with this. Like, they'll tell you the truth. Yeah. And that's the that's the only truth. And if you say truth that Vladimir Putin doesn't like, you tend to fall out of uh, you know ten story buildings or have a you know accidents with a, with head trauma um, or you know accidentally get poisoned somehow, right? That's what that's how they deal with people who disagree with them. So our society was dealing with some misinformation uh, and some personal responsibility is way better than that. Uh, yeah. So, so kind of going to the extreme, I've often uh, I, I don't know uh, if you've ever seen the movie Ready Player One. Or read oh, the book, yes. um, but I, I, I have often written a book about the book. Well, not oh, just okay. Book. Well, I apologize. I, <laughs> I was not aware of that. Uh, I'll have to look. I'll have to look that up. But so one of the things I I often challenge students is you know there's this notion in the in the book and in the movie where they talk about that at some point in time in the past before the movie starts that they they flipped the internet off. They just turned it off 
yep. and it was gone. And, you know, so I, I, I ask, you know, I ask them to say what, what would happen? Like what, what would need to happen for us to get there, but then also what would come after that? You know, what, how would we retract back to a world before the internet? Because we're, we're two generations in now to, you know, not knowing what that looked like. I mean, I barely know what that looked like. Uh, and our students definitely have no idea what that looks like. So, um, so yeah, so I would be curious to hear, hear kind of your response to that or, or. Yeah. Like if you had an internet kill switch, right. And that's yeah, what all gone. That they have in a, you know, at the tail end of ready player one, they have a, you know, a kill switch for the Oasis. They actually bring it back in ready player two, a kill switch. I don't know if you read the, the new book, but uh same sort of idea, which is if this great massive widespread use of technology that has so many good uses turns out to be not worth it you can just kill it right and maybe that's going to be okay and they have your know, philosophical debates about whether to do that um i think another good example is station 11 i actually haven't watched the show but i have you read the book um it's about a society was oddly enough a pandemic hits and wipes out a lot of the population around the world this was written about five years ago and uh but it also wipes out all technology Basically, all electricity goes. So you're in a post-digital society. Um, so it's a lot of it's about a traveling Shakespeare company that goes and performs town to town um, and what it's like to live in a post-digital um, society. Um, very, very interesting. Uh, um, highly recommend. Uh, similarly, like Why the Last Man, the the, com or the graphic novel series, is a similar sort of thing. Uh, half the population dies, hmm. uh, all men, except for one, just for what it's worth. Right. Uh, also, all the technology fails. and so Which is kind now of an Amazon series. Yeah, yeah. I saw yeah. that's coming too, yeah. Um, a lot of these have been adapted uh, to, to movies and books. So, um, But yeah, that... You know, I don't think we're going to get there. I don't think anybody's going to come and, you know, just, you know, write a worm that kills the internet. Um, there's a lot of, you know, fail safes and backups. Uh, but if they did, um, first off, I think something would probably pop up to replace it and maybe it would be better. Um, I guess we'd see. Um, but there's some value into unplugging, right? We, you know, we all talk about having these breaks that, you know, I'm going to go off the grid for a week, right? It's really pleasant. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you, any of y'all have experienced this. Yeah. Um, I like to think of myself as a, as a tech guy and a science fiction guy and a futurist. Um, and I love technology. Um, and uh, sometimes I just like to get my newspaper in the morning and sit there off the grid and read um, and do my crossword puzzle and print and read books. You know, it's just really, really pleasant. Um, and there's a, I feel like I still get plenty of information. I'm not misinformed or underinformed. Um, and rather than texting or emailing people, you can actually go and talk to them, right? You know, sometimes that's just nice. Um, so there's, you know, you know, we'd be fine. We'd survive. We'd find a way. Uh, I don't think any internet or tech would stay down for too long. But if Facebook disappeared tomorrow, we'd adapt and find something else, right? That's got to be terrifying to Facebook. Twitter vanished. We'd find something else to do, right? YouTube vanished. We'd find something else to do. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, we're adaptable. We'll find ways to communicate. That communication is just a core bit of who we are as human beings. And so it's, uh, we find ways to do it. So, maybe, so I, maybe good. Yeah. So I, so I suppose, uh, based on, on what you're saying, we can, uh, we can use one, one, one movie line to, uh, reflect on another. And, and, uh, as, as, uh, as, uh, Ian Malcolm said, life will find a way. Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. Well, we're, we're already onto the metaverse, which is, uh, something that I've been, you know, studying and reading about is, and it's a, it, you know, it's a, 
interesting concept, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm curious, Trip. What, what are your thoughts on the metaverse uh, as we move into the next five years? Right. Um, the uh, viewers at home or listeners at home won't be able to see the big grin on my face, right? Um, I, uh, I mean, I'm skeptical uh, because it's for one is run by Facebook, which is. Um, was very good at doing one thing and has not been very good at expanding that, um, that any of their new products are things they bought up from other people, you know, and uh, maybe they could pull it off. They had, they certainly have the wealth and investment uh, that if somebody can pull it off, maybe Facebook can. Um, but I, you know, I think some of us are spoiled by, uh, by the Oasis, like the stuff we read in science fiction um, uh, by, uh, by snow crash, by neuromancer, right? These, uh, uh, these alternate realities we get to go live in, and um, they're somewhat utopian with a uh, with a nasty bent to them, right? Sometimes, and uh, but they're interesting and they're fun, right? In, in these uh, uh, um, uh, in these versions we get to read about, and the Facebook one seems like you know kind of dull, right? It's like Second Life. Um, that great, you get to go have meetings uh, in as an avatar. Oh, who wants more meetings, right? That's that's how, that actually sounds dreadful. Um, yeah. So, uh, I, you know, unless they're able to offer features that make their life better than real life, I think they've got a real uphill battle. And I just, I certainly don't have confidence that the people on Facebook can do that, right? With the leadership they have, um, could it happen? I mean. I think uh, AR might be better than VR. Um, so augmented reality we have, um, whether it's, you know, something as, as fun and silly as like Pokemon Go, but uh, where you can play games and interact with the, the environment around you. Um, I was a said early adopter. I, I had Google Glass for a bit. And that was some of the thought was you could develop apps that would make you be able to see the world in a different way. And it was kind of cool. Um, it also had a lousy battery and burned the side of your head if you left it on too long. So you had flaws. The tech wasn't there yet. Um, but maybe something like that would be interesting. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot to, to be worth uh, living in the real world, though. And I think we're finding that uh, tech doesn't solve any of those problems. Um, and uh, until we can deal with that, I don't see the the value in going into a fake world. Um, maybe some people would find it really attractive. Sure, you're right. It, there might be some fun in there. I might be too old to enjoy it, but maybe younger people will enjoy it. But and this somebody's I love Ready Player One. I love the idea of the Oasis. Um, again, I love Snow Crash, love Neuromancer. I think they're pretty exciting things. Um, Rainbow's Edge by uh, Werner Vinge. I mean, the great examples of AR and VR out there. But um, the tech isn't there to make it valuable yet. And I don't know if the creative minds that could actually make it work are in place to do that. Okay, fun side note. Do you remember in Ready Player One who was elected to be um, the uh, the presidents, the co-presidents of the of the uh, of the Oasis? Oh no, I don't remember. Um, it's two people. It's uh, Corey Doctorow and Will Wheaton. Um, oh, and Will Wheaton. So they are re-elected <laughs> to serve as terms as presidents of the metaverse. Um, and if it was run by Corey Doctorow and Will Wheaton, well, that'd be a hell of a fun place, right? I would be a lot more excited to live in that world um, than in whatever Facebook's got together. So, um, yeah. so maybe it's, you know, that kind of leadership. Also very funny because Will Wheaton narrated the audiobook version. Um, and he had oh, his own name on there, which oh I may have to go download that. I highly recommend the uh, audiobook version. It's great fun. Yeah. Yeah. My, 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 uh, m or most of my reference recently to Will Wheaton is of course, all of the cameos he did on the big bang theory. Of course. Uh, yes. Right. Right. So yeah. <laughs> the Star Trek fans, you guys, he's a wonderful audiobook narrator. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I believe that. Yeah. So, um, so taking a little bit of a step back, kind of coming full circle, um, you know, we started 
talking about how you got interested in teaching and, and, and something that actually kind of came of this podcast that wasn't what we had intended on necessarily was most of the, um, the, the people that we talked to um, address specifically our students and, and, and talk about, you know, how they were a student and how they came to be um, where they are. And, and so um, if there are students out there that are, are really interested in media law and, and really want to know more about it, um, what are some, besides just teaching, um, what are some career paths that they could take if they're really interested in media law, um, especially too, if maybe they don't want to go to law school, but they're really interested in, in the concepts and talking about it. What, right. what are, what are some places where they could go to, to, to flex those skills or that interest? Right. Um, well, obviously as a higher education person, I'm a fan of higher education. So, um, and I would, you know, if you're really interested in this and want a career actually in law, like you go to law school for that. Right. And there are programs that, that have some good emphasis in media and entertainment law and that sort of thing, uh, and clinics and whatnot. Uh, and I'm glad to talk to people. If y'all have students who are interested, I can, you know, try to make some references there. Um, there are a lot of good uh, graduate programs out there as well. Shorter ones, like one or two years, you might be able to get an assistantship as well. Um, that are like a master's programs that focus on media law or have a media law faculty that do a lot of the teaching in it. So that would be uh, North Carolina has a good program. Florida has a good program along those lines, LSU, Penn state. Uh, you know, so there are good programs out there that you could go to that, that have faculty with interest and do research and writing in that area. So if you're interested in more school, that would be, be a way to go to go about it. Um, you don't have to be a lawyer or have a master's or a PhD or anything to be interested in this stuff though, right? I think it's really valuable for anybody to go out and um, and learn about the field, learn about, I mean, the First Amendment, free speech and copyright, they're hugely valuable. Um, skills, uh, if you're gonna be doing any type of communicating, public communication, whether you're you know, a teacher, if you're working in uh, ad PR, if you're working in journalism, uh, marketing, um, really, I mean, any of these areas having some knowledge of, what can I publish and what can I get in trouble for and what clearances and rights do I need to get? Uh, is a good skill to have because everybody's has the access to go out and communicate and publish in the palm of their hand uh, today. So having some of those skills is good things to have. Um, I mean, definitely take your class in college on it. If you're not a major minor, see if you can get into it. Um, there are good podcasts out there. Um, uh, Ken White has the make no law podcast. He's done. Um, uh, he's an attorney, a First Amendment attorney out of Los Angeles. Um, he's at Pope Hat on Twitter. Um, and uh, there's, yeah, there's a big media law community out there on, on Twitter, especially that I know of that uh, regularly writes and blogs and podcasts about this sort of stuff. So uh, you can just become, you know, interactive with these people. And uh, they're usually kind of pretty excited to talk to people about weird First Amendment free speech stuff. Awesome. Cool. So I think to um, to kind of conclude um, the last the last kind of question we wanted to to get at is so um, you know I, I know Tim and I uh, as as we're, faculty we're being, uh, video bombed here by my kid in the back seat so oh no no worries uh, so Tim <laughs> Tim and I have, have my kid would have been done by now <laughs> <laughs> right have uh, have fun fun stories to tell you know. Um, success stories, I guess, about, you know, things that that's, you know, we students talk about or, or that they're surprised about. So, um, you know, students probably walk into your class because maybe it's a requirement, maybe they're interested in it, maybe a little bit of both. Uh, but what what's the most surprising or uh, thing that a student has come to you and been like, whoa, I didn't know that blank 
like that's amazing. Like I didn't, you know, what, what preconceived notions have, have really like, you know, expanded their universe. Uh, right. Right. <laughs> that you were, that you were sort of surprised about like, Whoa, I, you, how did you not know that? Or, <laughs> or that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one, I mean, just, I'm always surprised when uh, people don't know the first amendment as I do. Cause I think, you know, this is one of those that I feel like you probably should have gotten in high school. Right. Or, uh, you know, and there's just a lot of misinformation about what the first amendment is and what it does and what it does not do. And a lot of this idea that the first amendment says, whatever it mean says that I can say whatever I want to without consequence. Well, no, it doesn't. It means you can say whatever you want to, and it's very hard for the government to do anything about it. Right. But um but the First Amendment says that you can, you know, if you say things your employer doesn't like, they generally can fire you for that, right? Uh, that That is a market-based response. And if your employer is not the government, there's not a lot you can do about it. So, you know, the First Amendment right is, uh, uh, doesn't work that way. The other is that um, the First Amendment is not a right not to be offended. You know, I talk to students a lot about this, that uh, we talk, you know, is that hate speech, and I hear this on exams and in classes that, well, hate speech isn't free speech. The hate speech isn't protected by the First Amendment because it it hurts people. It's like, well, guess what? There, There's no hate speech category. Hate speech is protected speech unless it's a threat, right? Or unless it's you know, immediately provoking a fight in the you know, fighting words category, which is really, really rare. Um, so uh, the First Amendment is not a right not to be offended. Uh, First Amendment gives you a right to speak back to stuff that offends you, right? First Amendment gives you a right to boycott people who say things you don't like, right? That's your free speech. So free speech tolerates a lot of awful stuff. Um, and if you're offended by it, then ignore it, boycott it, speak out against it, right? The First Amendment protects that too. Um, so that it's a, you know, it, it's a libertarian ideal dating back 400 years. And it's, you know, I don't know if it's perfect, but it beats the heck out of the alternatives. Right. So there's that. Um, let's see other big ones. I think a copyright surprises a lot of people that, uh, you know, if I find it for free on the web, I can use it. No, you can't. Right? That's not, that's not the public domain that generally you need a, a license or permission. Fair use covers a lot, but not just grabbing stuff off of somebody's social media feed and reusing it yourself. And while you probably won't get in trouble for that, you know, say 99.9% of the people don't get in trouble for that. The 0.01% of people who do uh, end up owing some damages and it can be a lot, right? And that's, uh, and it's copyright policy is backward and wrongheaded and really protects powerful interests and uh, which is lousy and maybe we could reform that. But uh, in, in the here and now, uh, you know, you don't want to get that demand letter for $750 because you took a funny cartoon on the web and posted it on your Instagram, right? You know, you don't want to get caught holding the bag. Um, and I've had students who that's happened to, you know, so, uh, and it can be a really expensive lesson in copyright and information policy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, great. that's I, great. I I wanted to uh, just chime in here and say that, you know, we have these debates in our, our classes towards the end of the semester. And uh, Chip, I think if students can come out and, and listen to your perspective, I think this will really help with, uh, with them understanding and grasping the, the first amendment rights that they have. And, and also, too, a lot of students like to uh, share that they have actually been, in some instances, uh, banned from YouTube uh, or oh, yeah. or Twitter. You know, in the sense that they didn't know, right? That they uh, that that there were specific rules for that platform that they didn't follow. Uh, you know, in in terms of agreement that they they did not read. That's yes, uh, right. I actually make my students read a terms of service. That's one of our assignments: is they have to read one and tell me what they find in it. And yeah, it is also eye opening a lot of the time. 
All those things you have to click, I agree on, I make them actually read those. Yeah. <laughs> right. Surprising. You mean I have to read all of that? Yeah. <laughs> Just one. They only have to read one. That's awesome. Well, Chip, we want to thank you for joining us. We uh, we really appreciate you. And and uh, I know Mark uh, found you on uh, online, and, and that's uh, the beauty of, of of the web, right? Having yeah, ability to to navigate and 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 uh, network with folks all across the world. So. Really, really appreciate if, you if being the whole here. internet were to go down, we would miss that. So that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, great. Thank All you right. guys for uh, for uh, being here and doing this for us. And as we get back into the groove of things, and sometimes you just have to fight for for what you love to do. And so we're we're uh, excited to be back. And uh, thank you, Chip, again for joining us. Yeah. Thank well, you. Nice to join y'all. Yeah. We have a great afternoon, and uh, yeah, and we'll be in touch. Okay. Bye. Bye.